This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 645. We've got a great show with Dr. Sarah Haynes of the University of Toronto. We're calling it the Puzzle of Buildings and Health. Research to Practice, so another great Research to Practice show. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget about the Afterthoughts at afterthoughts.iaqradio.com. Join the discussion after the show. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA. The American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, RestorationIndustry.org. The Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Healthy Buildings America 2021, hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, aemlinc.com, Particles Plus, particlesplus.com, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, graywolfsensing.com, TSI Inc., tsi.com, Sunbelt Rentals, sunbeltrentals.com, April Air, aprilaire.com, Healthy Indoors Magazine, healthyindoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Don Weeks, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, who was first to identify... LIDAR as the method used for determining variable distance by targeting an object with a laser and measuring the time for the reflected light to return to the receiver. The IQ Radio Trivia question for today, November 12, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IQ Radio trivia question. Name the winner of one half of a Nobel Prize in physiology who later coined the term microbiota. Back to you, Joe. All right. So we've got Professor Sarah Haynes. Her interdisciplinary research integrates building science, engineering, and microbiology to analyze the impact of the built environment on human health. She uses cutting-edge microbiology techniques uh, such as next-generation sequencing, meadow-transcriptonomics, and bioinformatics to understand the impact of weatherization and extreme weather events on indoor air quality, particularly in low-income communities who may be at a higher risk for asthma. Her work aids in the understanding of indoor exposures from microorganisms and chemicals 
providing for a cleaner and sustainable indoor environment. Her PhD is in environmental science from the Ohio, the Ohio State University. Make sure I get that right. Welcome back, Sarah. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I feel like you've been on before, but it's it's just <laughs> from the Healthy Buildings Conference that yeah. I got to know you a little bit. Yeah. You've yeah. had a big change here since then. You've moved on up to uh, the University of Toronto. Um you're getting, you got your PhD from Ohio State, and uh, you're at the Department of Civil and Mineral Engineering at the University of Toronto. Um, let's start with how you became interested in, in healthy buildings. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah, so I'm really excited, excited to be here. Um, so with healthy buildings, I think for me, it's something where this is where we spend so much of our time, right? I'm, and I'm sure everyone talks about this on your show. We spend the majority of our time inside. So just thinking about how we're impacted by all of the, the different aspects and components of our indoor environment, be it microbes or chemicals or um, just out, outside, outside air coming in. So for me, it was, it was, it was kind of a, 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 an interesting start. So I, I started doing research in my undergraduate and I had been interested in air quality, just in general outdoor air quality. But then I started learning more about indoor air quality and how important that is um, just just to our health and in general and to, to human health and so I started started looking into that and that that was really how I got more interested in in it but I think this is such I mean it's great that you guys have this going on and people are talking about it because it's not something that people think about um, they don't they don't think about air quality in their house right we always think about air quality pollution air pollution outside so um, yeah, so it was that. That was really more how I how I got got started into it, and how how I um, became integrated in in the community and with microbiome work as well. So really specifically, getting into what kind of molds and fun, fungus, bacteria that we're exposed to every day. You know, it's it's actually kind of a growing little community there, huh? Mm-hmm. You you know you 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 were at. Um... Ohio State there with Karen Dannemiller yeah. and her group. They do a lot of this kind of thing. And now yes. you're at the University of Toronto. How did that end up uh, yeah. working out for you there? Yeah, yeah. So so coming from, I think Canada actually has a really growing building science community. Um, and so building science in the sense that they do have, you know, they have people doing energy modeling and HVAC, HVAC work and, and lots of that. But then also thinking about the health aspect and exposures. Um, so coming to Toronto, uh, Jeff, Jeff Siegel is here, who I know you've had on the show before as well. And we had collaborated previously um, on, on some work. And so it's just a great community to, to, to move from. Obviously, I, I'm so grateful and thankful for my Ohio State, Ohio State group and everyone there, but then coming here and really starting to do my own research and um, get integrated with other people where we actually have a building science group. So there's four of us at University of Toronto in the civil um, and mineral engineering department who are focusing on building science um, as, as a whole, which is, which is amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. It's, it's yeah. seems to be growing yes. all over the country, you know, both yes. here and in Canada, in Canada, we're seeing more and more people focusing on the indoor environment a lot recently too, with COVID. Yes. Yeah, that, that's what I, and I think COVID has really brought it to the forefront of a lot of people's minds as well, even just in our, in our communities, right? 
just thinking about this is something that we're, we're all impacted by and we've been spending so much time indoors and with our masks on. And um, I think it, it highlights a, a, a space where we need more people to understand building science and how buildings function, but also exposures and health indoors. And so that connection, I think COVID has really highlighted that we need, we need more people who are looking into this and how important it is. As, uh, you may or may not know, but I'm, I'm just curious. Do you think there are more funding opportunities available mm-hmm. now for indoor air quality type research? You know, I think we pro- I would say probably like likely. Yes. Um, it's just finding them. But, but at the same time, there are more funding opportunities, but everybody, I think a lot of people are on the, on the train to, to do this kind of research and everyone wanted to, to do COVID research, which makes, it makes a lot of sense. And of course it was something truly important that we need to be doing research on, um, which is great. So I think there probably are more funding opportunities and then also more people doing research. um, So it's more competitive than than it ever was. Yeah. But which which is good though. I'm I'm glad that people are, are are looking into this and starting to focus on indoor air or virus, indoor viruses. I think that this really highlighted um, like COVID has really highlighted how much we didn't know or how much, what, what systems that we needed in place ready to go. If, if, if something like this occurs. Well, I think it also pointed out the silos that we're in, you know, yeah. the medical community is in their own little silo yeah. and they've been following this five micron stuff forever. Mm-hmm. And um, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to a lot of the folks right. that, you know, that, that were doing research on, you know, aerosols and aerosol physics and, and trying to explain that, hey, this is probably an aerosol issue, not, yeah, not a, a uh, you know, fomite kind of thing. So uh, it's been very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been kind of, I, I wanted to get your perspective because, you you know, you're kind of a young, new, upcoming mm-hmm. professor in this area, assistant professor, associate, whatever they call you these yeah, days. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, um, you got involved with microbes in buildings and uh, on carpet mm-hmm. a while back. And we, yes. we had talked to Karen Dannemiller about that. Let's talk a little bit about carpet and uh, microbes and the research that you've done there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is, it's, it's kind of niche. I think we were, you know, with carpet um, it's not something that a lot of people think about like the carpet in their home and how is that, uh, how are they, ex- what are they exposed to with that? So um, the purpose was truly, you know, when you have elevated moisture in your home, you get above 80% relative humidity, things start, things start to grow. Fungus, bacteria, fungus mainly molds. They're really happy. They love the moisture um, and they can grow in your dust. And so I think that's, that's really what it is. They're growing in dust in carpets. And we wanted to focus on carpet because a lot of the work previously was on drywall. Um, most people were looking at molds on drywall and especially if you think about you know in your shower that's where all yeah that's probably where most of the moisture in your house is coming from hopefully if you if you don't have a flood Um, but you're showering there's it's really hot and steamy and things things could be growing on your drywall but with carpet um, this is actually a lot of the times how we're exposed to microbes is through this resuspension of dust so in the carpet if molds and if the fungus is growing in your carpet in the dust and then is resuspended, that's, that's how you're exposed. And so that was really how, what we wanted to look at 
um, and actually create a model for growth. And so that's what we were doing. Well, initially my project was, I would go into people's homes and I would rip out their carpet and collect their dust, which was the funniest, <laughs> the funniest <laughs> thing to be doing. Like, don't throw that be, carpet away. I need yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. It would be like, Oh, you, you're getting rid of your carpet. Um, and I would drive up and take a big swatch and then leave in leave. And so then of course the people, the carpet people, I've talked to people later, they come in to replace the carpet and they're like, what did you do? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> but anyway, so we, we had collected carpet from, from different people's homes and their dust. And we are actually trying to model how that growth was occurring um, over time and over, over a period of two weeks, depending on the relative humidity, because the moisture level in your home isn't going to be constant. It's a change. It changes throughout the day and especially depending on where you live. Right. So like it's in San Francisco where things are pretty temperate compared to Florida. Um, you have to really think about how moisture conditions are impacting our indoor environments. And I think that really brings us to like thinking about climate change as well, how the climate outside is changing. We're getting more floods and moisture. We need to be thinking about um, how moisture in our indoor environment can be causing increased growth. And what, just kind of generally, the, yeah. the paper, I think, is varying humidity increases emission of, oh, no, that's the wrong one, morphology oh, yeah, a, and quantification yeah. of fungal mm -hmm. growth in residential mm -hmm. dust and carpet. Nastasi? Yeah, Nastasi. Um, in building an environment. John, can you pull up a couple of the photos that we have from that? And maybe, uh, Sarah, you could go through these a yeah. little bit. Well, there's the paper. Yeah, so this we this was oh that's yeah so that's from a different paper. But if we have there's a picture of um, just fungal fungus growing on yeah here like those those pictures there. There you go. So we were actually able to image. Um, so Nick Nick Nastasi was able to image this the growth on the fibers, and what we were really seeing was when you had obviously at higher relative humidity conditions. It's 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 really clear here. I think as you start to increase, so you're at 50%, those, that's the actual carpet fibers. There's some dust that you don't really see any growth. And then as we increase 85, 90, um, there's some hyphae and then 95, there's a whole spore chain. Um, wow. and then hundred percent, this image, you, it's, it's more zoomed out, but there's lots of things going on. So you can really see you know, that's, it's, a, that's what, that's what could be occurring down in your carpet, in your home. Um, if you're at these high moisture conditions for, uh, I think these were incubated for a couple, like days, potentially. I'm not, I'm, I don't remember how long they were incubated for at these conditions, but, um, what was really interesting was they're not really growing on or using, we weren't sure were they using the fiber as, some kind of source like where the microbes um and really like attaching to the fiber and it was more the presence of dust was so extremely important so if there was dust on the fiber they were able to grow and they were there um growing on these materials and you know those are real high relative humidities but yeah. um i don't think people realize oftentimes that you know when you've got a, a slab on grade for instance yeah. and that that slab stays nice and cool well, you get that elevated relative humidity at that, you know, at that surface. Mm -hmm. And uh, you could probably get in that 85, 90, 95% yeah. relative humidity range. Yeah, because a lot of the times too, even if the 
I, I think this is a, this is an issue that we need to start looking at and addressing. But a lot of the time, the humidity in your home or you know in, in a space is that says it's at one level. So you have the relative humidity monitor, and it says it's at whatever sixty percent humidity. But down at the carpet level, it could be a lot higher, especially if you've had a moisture event. Um, so I, I mean, I think especially if you had flooding occurring on your carpet, people will try to remediate it. You have to get like remove the carpet. I would say there's not much you can do once it's been it's it's wet, right? Once that growth starts, it's tough to yeah, it's tough to get tough rid to of do that. Much with it. Yeah, I think it's pretty common, but it, you know, there, there's always these questions about well, how long has it been wet. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how long you incubated yeah. those mm-hmm. those um, samples there. Do, yeah. you, do you recall? Yeah. So so we were doing some um, work where truly we were looking at. I don't know. I don't think that the images correspond to ours, but we were doing some quantification work where we would collect dust after a period of time, and it really was even after potentially six hours at an elevated moisture condition, you. They, the the microbes were active. They become active in the dust, and they could and they could start growing. Um, so if this was over periods of of days, where you're up at, I mean five five ten days at a high humidity condition, you could start having this growth in your in in your carpet. But we were looking initially at kind of um, it, it's a it's a different paper, but. Uh, varying relative humidity conditions. And if it was above 80% for even six hours, that could be an issue. Yeah. So even that, you know, we've always heard it takes 24 hours to Mm -hmm. be 24 to 48 hours. You have to dry things out and and get it back to uh, a point where it's not going to support growth. Um, You're saying that could be maybe a little too long. Yeah. Potentially, potentially, because I I think it's, it's really, um, thinking about just that they're active. So if they're, if they're just getting activated and this, if, if some kind of fluctuation continues, so even if it maybe for eight, 18 hours, it's at a drier condition, if it went back up to the high moisture condition, you could end up, they, they could still be, um, still be active. So this is something that I, I want to be looking into um, more in depthly uh, as well as, is getting really getting this model of growth more situated um, because we, we want to make sure, as you were saying, like how, how long does it take? How, how long does it take for the, for really intense growth to, to occur? Yeah. You know, and you're, you're talking about activated. How are you, that's a little different than yeah, just taking a, um, a, a micro, you know, a, a sample and looking yeah. at it under a microscope. How are you determining when the genes have been activated? Yeah. So for, so for us, it was, it was more of like this active or passive growth. So it would be, they're active when they're actually, they're, like you said, like their genes are, they're, they're, they're doing things. Um, they may not be growing yet. So that might be the thing. So after six hours, maybe they're not growing, but they're excited. And if it continued, then they could, they could start growing. Um, and you could actually be exposed, but this, I think this is what you just brought up is, is something that I've been trying to look into is actual gene expression of the microbes. So when they're expressing these genes, what, what is occurring and what level of moisture do you need? And I think we know 
um, we're seeing at 50, 85, 95%, even at 50%, they're, they're at, things are happening that may not be, they're growing, but they're, they could be potentially releasing compounds. They could be, um, there's lots of different things that they're doing. And we're still trying to figure that out. And, and all microbes are different. So it's super, it's difficult to determine, right? Because this microbe, this one fungus may do this, but this other fungus may do that. Yeah. And at this point, we're just talking about fungus and there may be yes. many other types of microbes involved as well. Yeah, like bacteria as well. Yeah, there's actually really interesting, um, the bacteria and fungus, fungal interactions, which I think we potentially need to be looking into more as well because certain bacteria may release a compound to inhibit fungal growth, which potentially could be help could be helpful for inhibiting fungal growth in your home. Like so, maybe there's microbes that are that are actually helpful and could be stopping harmful growth. You know, like beneficial beneficial microorganisms. Very interesting. Yeah. So, let's. First of all, what led to the interest in, in carpet? I mean, what made you guys think, hey, let's go check for microbes on carpet? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, so it was initially Karen, um, Karen Dannemiller's work during her postdoc, but it was, it came out of this paper um, that was specifically looking at growth on drywall. And so they were looking at growth on drywall. And then we started to think about, well, what about, what about dust? What about other materials in your home? And so I think it was more, well, we know that we're exposed to dust more often than not. Like if, of anything that you're exposed to in your home, that resuspension of dust, um, and then thinking about, okay, well, where, where, where's that dust? Where's that dust home? And a lot of time it's in your carpet. There's so much dust loading in a carpet. If you're not vacuuming, you know, a bunch of times a day, um, mm -hmm. your carpet has a high dust loading. And so thinking about that, well, we know that there's microbes and dust. We know that microbes and dust can grow at moisture conditions. What about microbes and carpet? And so that was, that was really key um, initially to start thinking about that. And then we started to branch out as well, not even just microbes and carpet, but emissions, chemical emissions, VOC, volatile organic compounds from the material themselves. Yeah, and that's really an important uh, kind of a, you know, fork in the road here. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at is it's growing, but as it grows, what else happens? Do right. we have more VOCs? Do we have right. um, other issues that occur as, as it grows? So what are the main, I guess, takeaways so far from this carpet, you know, uh, work yeah. that you've been doing and others? Yeah, so I think it really was that the type, what we found was the type of carpet that you have in your home the moisture condition and the presence of dust, that was, the, that was most important to potential growth in your home. So certain, um, I, I, I don't remember which ones, it, it, I think we looked at nylon and olefin. So it's common, common carpet types. So the type of carpet uh, actually, depend, like, depending on the carpet type, it, it factored into how much growth was occurring and what, what, was, and what was growing. And then, um, actual presence of dust so having dust in your carpet was just a huge indicator of that's when you could have growth uh, at these moisture conditions but again I, I do want to say like a lot of the research that we were doing was at these elevated conditions and so your home hopefully is not getting to these high conditions all the time but and that's why we wanted to look at variations in, in humidity and 
you know, how does this relate to IAQ practice? For those of us out here trying to do this work, I mean, I, I've got some thoughts on how it relates, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on how it relates for people out here doing water damage restoration or mold remediation yeah. or mold inspections, indoor air quality inspections. Right. Yeah. So with the, with the car, I think specifically with the carpet, I think what we were finding, you know, at these um, at these at these elevated conditions, if it is such a short period of time, potentially that the microbes could be, be as we were saying, like become activated, potentially start growing. Um, maybe then we need to start looking at how how are we remediating so, sooner than later, or also just you know, if, if you have a flood and you're trying to remediate and there's carpet in a basement, which most people put carpet in their basement, which is likely where any kind of moisture damage is going to, going to occur. Um, just thinking about that, that needs to be removed. I, th I think that was one of the main things that I learned just through all of this research, maybe not just from the paper, but that there's not much you can do. Once the carpet is wet, there's only so much you can do. Remove it and, 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 start, and start new. Right. Like, I, I don't think that we can. And that maybe that's another area of research that we need to get into is thinking about um, how you're back either like vacuuming up, suctioning up water from from the material themselves. Yep. Um, and is there is there a better is there something that we could be doing in that in that sense? And it actually inhibits growth afterwards. Interesting. Yeah. Cliff, yeah. you got a follow up? Yeah. Actually, actually, a couple of. You know, I'm, I'm looking above your head and I can see the ceiling tiles. And I've also got them above, yeah. above my head. And, you know, you, you were talking about equilibrium relative humidity and high right. humidity conditions and so on and so right. forth. You know, above you, there's probably pipes for air conditioning and so on and so forth. And all you need is a little drip. Yeah. And, um, you know, when that water hits that carpet tile, you're going to have a microclimate right. and it's, it's going to, you know, you're going to have water activity yeah. and this, this mold can grow anywhere. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to have a flood. You don't have to have no. really hot, high humidity. I mean, anywhere that you've got a leak, a leak I guess yeah. the, the, the second point is really, I know you're studying the carpet and I know you're studying the fibers and you can really see the difference between your nylon fiber, how smooth it is, mm -hmm. you know, compared to the wool fiber, which is right. like really, like really, really scary, yeah. scaly. But these carpets have backings on them. Mm -hmm. And it's that backing that comes in contact directly with the moisture. Yeah. Moisture's gonna hit the back of the carpet before it ever hits the fiber. And right. those fibers can't really hold it. You know, they can only hold like, you know, I think polyester, you know, two, three percent or less than that in moisture. Wool can hold a lot, but a lot of it I think is the backing and, yeah. and the role that the backing plays. And there are different types of backing. I mean, years ago. You know, when I first entered the, the, the industry in the 70s, the backings were natural. It was all jute, which was on, on the back of the carpet. So uh, I think it would have been way worse there. I think there have been some improvements. But I think a lot of these wool carpets, uh, you, you know, you need to be careful. You know, what's the backing material? What's the backing? Well? Yeah, I think that's actually such a good point. And, and it was something that we wanted to, in this study, we were wanting to look at. But it's how do you, how do you determine... Um, the growth on the, on the back of the carpet. So that might be something to look into more because I agree. I definitely had, when we were doing these incubation studies, just had the carpet in there. Depend, certain carpets that were really dirty, maybe from some, from a, a, a space that was, hadn't been cleaned in a while, 
there was mold on the back of the carpet growing for sure. And it wasn't even that I, it was just in a humidity condition. It's not like the carpet was wet initially when I put it in there. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had the pictures there. It's just covered. So I think that's super important point to bring up that the back of the carpet, what, what are we using? What materials is the back of the carpet? Well, you know, when you think about it, you know, you're talking about particles and Joe mentioned, you know, five, you know, uh, five micron particles, right. and then particles less than 2.5. Right. If you think of that carpet as a filter, the yeah. finest of the fine particles are going to end up going down through that carpet yeah. and they're going to go into the backing and, and they're going to go underneath. So you probably, if, if you've got stuff going on in the fibers on top, uh, you probably have a That's zoo or whatever going on underneath. Yeah. 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 And how do you get in, if you're trying to vacuum it up, how are you going to get that out off? Right. If it's already, if it's right. in the back or underneath, right. you're not getting it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, we're, I want to get on to your other papers here after halftime. Before we, we get to halftime, um, there was a question here about, and I had mentioned VOCs. What about mycotoxins? Did you look at the mycotoxin production at different uh, relative humidity levels? Um, so we, I, I don't believe, I'd have to double check that other, the other paper, but that's not something that, that I've been doing, but I think that is um, really important to start to, to look at the actual mycotoxins and then even aller like allergens as well um, yep. that are coming from from the material so that's kind of what we were hoping to do with the, M the mvoc work and so we're just still still working through some of the data so it's the actual microbial volatile organic compounds that are being released and that goes hand in hand with those mycotoxins and thinking about the gene expression there of of those of the of the fungus in in the dust and yeah. Then the big question becomes, how important is this with, re with, with respect to health? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't know that that's been answered. I'm just kind of throwing it out. You yeah. know, is that where you're headed is with this kind of research? Yeah, and I, I, think, I, I think absolutely, like uh, thinking about the human health exposures, because all of this, you know, it's, it's interesting work. But when we think about putting it, as you said, like putting it into practice, how are we going to build a better, healthy, equitable, sustainable indoor environment? Um, I, I think directly, like anything that is giving off emissions or there's molds, allergens in the air, that's directly a human exposure, right? So, and yeah, so I think that's, that's how it relates to health immediate, um, immediately. So it, it's something that I would like to start looking into more, doing more potentially working with public people in public health or in medicine, as you said, because they're always so separate, we need to start, start some, you know, more collaborative work, at least with myself, looking at um, collaborating with other people. And got to get out of those silos, huh? Yeah, right. It's, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy to happen. <laughs> All right. Hey, we've got to stop and thank our sponsors real quick. We'll be back in 90 seconds with Dr. Sarah Haynes having a good time. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.com.
www.healthyworkplaces.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org the indoor air quality association iaqa.org the restoration industry association the granddaddy of the restoration industry restorationindustry.org the iicrc a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org healthy buildings america Honolulu, Hawaii, January 18 through 20, 2022. HB2021-America.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee. AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particles Plus. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring. GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease. For all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, aprilaire.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back the second half with Dr. Sarah Haynes. Sarah, real there's another paper I wanted to get to here. It's called, uh, let me get it right here. Varying humidity increases emissions of volatile nitrogen containing compounds from building materials. This was in building and environment. And it uh, looks like you were looking at uh, emissions from, I'm not sure, was this from uh, uh, two by fours or structural members or what? This was actually, this was, um, it was, <laughs> We're still on carpet. It, w- it was still carpet and, and dust and then drywall. Oh, so okay. Included, okay. Included drywall. Um, so, yeah. I think we had a picture. I don't know if it's from that paper. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. John, yeah. Can you, there you go. That's the one, John. Pull that up. Oh, wait, maybe I have to maximize my screen here. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Tell us what we're looking at here, sir. Yeah, so this is a um, PTR top MS, so it's a proton transfer time of flight mass spectrum. But basically, all that it's what it's doing, it's it's really awesome um, technology. So it takes air, it's flushing the air through those little jars. So we have little jars, glass jars with the actual sample, and so within those glass jars are carpet. We have pieces of carpet that we cut up, and then on the on the right there's some drywall. And then on the carpet, I think we either had it just plain carpet or we, we put some dust sprinkled and embedded some dust on them. Um, and so what's happening in these jars is that air is being flushed through and then sucked back out. And you can kind of see on those, those little graphs on the, on the computer monitor, 
but it's actually measuring uh, emissions in real time. So it can actually determine what VOCs are coming off and it, and it gives you, uh, basically gives you a mass, mass ratio of the, of the chemical emissions, but then you can go and determine what chemical compounds are coming off um, at real time. So what we were able to do was uh, different humidity conditions and this actually would regulate the humidity. So we had them getting sniffed is what, is what they call it. They're, the, they're being sniffed for the VOCs um, at different humidity conditions as well, um, which was great. So it, it was super, super interesting. This was actually at uh, UC Berkeley. Um, we were using some uh, equipment there. Um, but yeah, so what we were, oh yeah, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, um, so you're looking at, and John, could you put the paper up real quick? Because I think just sometimes in looking at the yeah. title, and the wording you use helps me to get the practitioner group to understand better what you researchers yes. are looking at. And what threw me here is you called it volatile nitrogen containing compounds. We're normally used to seeing volatile organic compounds. Why this little bit of a, a yeah. tweak in the language? Sarah? Yeah. So, so we, so, right. So we were looking at the volatile, volatile organic compounds coming from the building materials themselves. But what we found was that, actually varying humidity conditions. So fluctuating the humidity between 50 or 85, um, I believe it was, yeah, 50, 50 and 85 was our, was our main fluctuation, that there were more nitrogen containing compounds coming off of the building materials. than if you just left it at say 80, 85% for week, like a week and you measured the emissions coming off, um, there weren't as many nitrogen containing compounds. But when you started fluctuating them, then there was there was this increase, which we're not really sure why, but it was just extremely interesting to see these types of um, these specific compounds that for some reason changing the humidity actually changed change. I mean, it changes the composition. And so fluctuating it, you actually ended up with more of these types of compounds. And how would that um... I'm not saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> for certain, but with respect to health, what's how would that be important? Yeah, so I think just thinking about um, what compounds that we're more likely to be exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis. So this, we were really trying to do something where this is more similar to variations that you would experience throughout your day. And obviously we can't, we can't get it 100% what you in your home, uh, variations in humidity. But if we're thinking about what you're actually exposed to all day, you're not just sitting in a room at 85% relative humidity. It's, it's changing all the time, especially with temperature. Um, so with this, if, if, we, if we're starting to determine compounds, very specific compounds that are coming off more likely uh, in your home in a day-to-day -day basis, um, I'm, I'm not 100% positive what nitrogen, if, there, if we know specifically what nitrogen containing compounds could do to, to health. But I think right. looking into that more and, you know, really narrowing down these exposures um, is important. I think it also illustrates really nicely how unbelievably complicated yeah. this whole topic is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, my goodness, you know, here we are thinking, okay, VOCs. And then and people don't realize when you get a, a sample for VOCs, you might get 300 different 
compounds oh. you're looking at here. Which How do we, we decide we which ones are the important ones? When with because ultimately we're looking at health. I mean yeah. that's that's what yeah. we've got to ultimately look at. So yeah. you've you've got your work cut out for you. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. Thinking about how, which which VOCs, you know, and I, I think I, I I do mostly microbes. So, um, you know, the people out there who do who are doing more chemical uh, indoor air quality, they may be like screaming right now, like it's these, it's these ones. But I think, you know, really thinking about what we wanted to do here was integrate those microbes and chemicals. Because we kind of, as I just said, like we think of them as separate, like, okay, I work on microbes and someone else works on chemicals, but there's so much going on and there's so many different aspects. You know, it's possible that the microbes are using, they could be using the VOCs that are coming off of the, or something's happening to them from the compounds coming off the carpet or the material themselves, right? We just right. don't know. And then how is that impacting the health, our health, because maybe the microbes are then doing something else that they wouldn't have done. You know, it's activating some other gene, right? Yeah, it's very <laughs> complicated. Very, and then you then you go into the individual person's, mm-hmm. you know, susceptibilities or, or, or sensitivities or whatever it makes this all very very uh, difficult to to really you know tease out what is actually causing that issue yeah. for that person. Is it the spores? Is it the VOCs? Is it the the mycotoxins? The mm-hmm. beta glucan? I mean. You all have your work cut out for you here, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you won't run out of things to look at. I know. <laughs> so from that particular topic, that particular paper, what mm-hmm. I guess, what are the main takeaways from that paper? Yeah, so I, I think it really was that varying humidity conditions and different, just different humidities and moisture cause um, the release of different VOCs, different VOC. And so it's, it's hard to say, you know, this is the, this is the makeup of VOCs in your home because maybe it, it would be, or in a building, because maybe it'll be different depending on all like the temperature and the, in the, and the humidity. Um, so we, I, I think, I think it's really just focusing on elucidating all those different aspects. And now we can start thinking about more how is moisture impacting release of compounds um, just from materials themselves? You know, before we talked, I didn't even, it, it never really occurred to me. So you have to get a background of what VOCs are coming from the carpet itself. Mm-hmm. Then what different VOCs or maybe increased yeah. VOCs are coming from the carpet after it's been exposed to right. relative humidity. Right. And it seems to me like what you're trying to do and, and other researchers is kind of build us a, uh, a background, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. this is, this is what we see yeah. in the Absolutely. carpet before anything happens to it. This is what we see after it happens. And this maybe uh, will help us understand a little better what the potential for health effects are. Absolutely. Yep. And then taking another step, how do we remediate that? Right. Uh, Right. maybe removing the carpet isn't always the best thing. I, I don't know. Right. I mean, maybe there's ways of cleaning it a little bit better, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. very interesting. All right, let's go to the next paper, John. This is another interesting one. We have, uh, let me see if I can find it in my notes. Oh boy. I can't pronounce this one too good. <laughs> let's see. Vishnia Cosima Victoria, Cryptococcus Victoria in the homes of asthmatic and non-asthmatic children in New York City 
This was in the Journal of Exposure Science and Environmental Epidemiology. So give us a little um, idea of why you did this to start with, what led to the interest in this particular issue. Yeah, yeah. So this is a really great um, collaboration with Rachel Rush and then Brett Green, who were at NIOSH um, in West, I think, West Virginia University. But so I, I think the, the, the real purpose of this was a lot of the times we think about how these micros, and we've been talking about it, are impacting our health in negative ways, right? But there are still beneficial, potentially beneficial microbes. Um, and we see that, I, I'm thinking of there's one specific study where they were looking at children who look, grew up on farms and in their homes in a farm where they grew up they were less likely to have asthma than children who didn't grow up in farms. And I, I think that was done in, in Finland. And so, you know, thinking about how exposure to certain microbes may actually have um, beneficial effects to preventing or preventative effects to asthma or allergens um, in children. And so with this, we were looking at this Vishnia, Vishnia Cosima B. Victoria, I'm just going to say B. Victoria, so we don't have to keep trying Thank to you. say that. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a, it's a crypto, it was a cryptococcus. Um, previously, it was cryptococcus Victoria, they renamed it. Um, but it's this yeast that we see a very uh, in prevalent in indoor environments. And so they had previously found that yeast can have these kind of preventative or um, effects on on asthma. And so we wanted to specifically look at this. No one had actually looked at this yeast species um, before. And so I think it was like 200, 250 homes of children with asthma collecting dust and then looking at um, the presence of V. victoriae and if there was any uh, relationship between their asthma and asthma prevalence and then the prevalence of, of this species. And what did you find? Yeah, so we actually did find that um, when there, it, then the V. victoria was more abundant in a home, it was less likely that the child um, had asthma or hmm. had, yeah, yeah. And where does this come from? The V. victoria? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good question. I'm not sure where, where, if it's coming from outdoor or if it's, just try I would assume most of our most of our microbes inside right are coming from something tracked in from outdoor air or or from our from, from or us, from us. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't believe that it's a, a human because it's it's non-pathogenic um so yeah it just potentially has this protective effect I mean this is all associations so we can't say oh yes you need to be exposed to to this to this uh yeast but it has these potential preventative effects Um, with repeated exposure to to the organism. It says here, moreover, our data suggests that V. victoria is associated with the dog microbiome and provides evidence. Yes. Yeah, that was really interesting. Dogs. Yes, absolutely. I remember we had, uh, I think it was Jeff, or might have been from Yale. Um, Jordan Pesci. Jordan Pesci. Pesci, And he was saying, hey, yeah, that's it. get a dog, you know, for yeah. your, your, your young child and uh, yeah. expose them to a few things, you know, and, and this right. must have been one of those, uh, one of those things. That's yeah. It looks like it's from the dog. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, true. all right. What does, what can um, IAQ practitioners take from this? Yeah. So I, I think, I think it's more of 
just thinking as a whole of maybe we don't want to continuously be getting rid of microbes in our homes. And so I, I've been thinking about this a lot with COVID, right? I think we all went through, I know I did where I was just spraying everything with Clorox in my house and you want to make sure you get rid of everything, but we need to really be more mindful of this thought of, oh, we need to get rid of all the microbes in our house um, and get rid of every, you know, anything that's anything because some of them like this could, could be potentially helpful. And I mean, like you said, having a dog, having dogs have so many different dogs, cats, like they have so many different, the different um, microbiome. Um, I, I, I think that, it, and I think it's difficult though, right? Because if we're actually going to put this into practice, how do we differentiate, okay, we're going to get rid of this harmful organism, but not this helpful organism. Right. So maybe that's the next step of trying to figure out, is there a way to promote or what, well, first, what are the truly beneficial microorganisms in our, in our indoor environments, in our homes? Um, and then how would we, how do we promote them, but also get, get rid of anything harmful? Um, so I'm not sure if that's like really, if there's like putting into practice in a way, or just kind of start thinking about this idea more. That we're well, doing something to keep in the back of your mind yeah. for sure. Yeah. What about, um, okay, so how did you measure this V Victoria samples? Yeah, it was in dust. So it was dust, and I believe it was just uh, DNA, extracted DNA, and then we quantified it via real-time PCR. So it's just a quantification, um, yeah, using qPCR. Believe. You've been doing a lot with Dustin. I think what we're going to do is we're going to go to the roundup. And then when we come back, I'd like to go into some of the stuff you're working okay. on now. Great. So we'll be back in uh, just a second with Dr. Sarah Haynes. We're, we're having a good time talking <laughs> about uh, what, do we, what did we end up calling this? One? The puzzle of buildings and health. We'll be right back. The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, let's let's talk you I think currently you're looking at some projects, you're deploying air filters in classrooms and then you're going to do some filter forensics. And, and I remember on the show with Jeff Siegel, he was doing uh, filter forensics on, I think it was home uh, HVAC system filters where he was cutting out, you know, a piece right. of it, looking at what was right. in there. What are you looking at here now? Yeah, so these are um, just individual air filters that can just be placed in a room, in a, in a building. Um, they're not, they're, you know, just, it's easier, easier, to tra- easier to transport. And then we have, filters we have filter paper that are go in in the filters and so we will be running them collecting dust vacuuming the dust off and then using the dust to quantify and just determine detect um our our initial hope was was to look for SARS-CoV-2 just to see if if it's present in in a in a classroom on campus or in a building um now we have all of our at, at U of T you have to be vaccinated to attend university or work on campus and you have to wear a mask so 
potentially we're not going to find anything, which would be great, right? If we don't find anything, sure. that means nobody's being exposed. But the initial um, the initial study was to look at and think about can what is on what is on can we detect it and can we use this to monitor and then potentially using it to monitor other vi viruses or bacteria, fungus specific um, organisms potentially or just overall in a room. And so these are, yeah, so there's the picture. These are the actual filters. So it's just this, um, this side of the leaves like cellulose filter paper. Um, and then those, we just did tests in our, in, in our own different homes. Um, and so you can actually see after a couple of weeks and then these are the actual filters. So we haven't deployed them yet. We're hoping to, to get that going soon. Um, but yeah, those are the actual, those are the, those are the filters. So they're pretty small. They're about, about, about that. Yay. How is the air pulled through there? Or is it just passive? Um, no, it's, 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 it has a, um, uh, it has a flow. I, I'm, I forget. We, we tested all of it. So I'm, I don't remember how, um, what the flow rate was, but it was actually fairly decent because that was the worry. Would we actually be getting how much dust is actually going to, to accumulate on, on there? But um, I, yeah, I'm not, I don't remember how much, how, what the flow rate was, but it was, it was pretty good to actually get suck the dust and, and anything in the air onto the filter. Well, you know, you're doing a lot of dust collection yeah. and um, on filters. It seems like that's been something that we see a little more of in the indoor air quality world mm -hmm. too. I know people, you know, for years, like Joe Spurgeon and others have been, it's, you know, it's about the dust. You got to look at the dust. There's right. different ways of looking at the dust. Yeah. Does that seem to be a trend in, in academia that you're, and I think it's partially because you can do this, you know, PCR and all mm -hmm. this analysis that yeah. we can't really, many right. homeowners can't afford no, to do. No, no. Is that kind of a, a trend in, in academia right now? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people were thinking about using using dust as this matrix. And I think it's important to to also think about the bulk floor dust. So things vacuumed up from the floor um, in your vacuum versus these filters, which would be what was in the air more more likely. So there's difference. Um and I think both are super valuable to be looking at. Well, what was air? What was aerosolized? What was what was an aerosol? Um, and then what was what's in down at the in the carpet or in on your floor uh, in this bulk dust? But yeah, I I, I think that you're right. Using dust um, because we have these quantitative methods that we can easily use, which potentially I I think is really important as the technology moves forward. Could this be something that we could be doing? In, in individual homes. I know I talked to somebody about how we do um, genetic, you know, the genetic testing or you, you get the 23andMe swab and you figure out what, uh, you know, what that or, or you have ones where you can figure out your microbiome. Maybe we could do that for a home as well. And as, as the technology progresses, I think it's possible that we could be having these maybe quicker means of quantitating, quanti getting quantities of microorganisms in your Interesting. house. Yeah. Interesting. What else are you working on right now, sir? Yeah. So I've been, so I've been working on, on, um, on this project and then as well as a gene, gene expression work that kind of carried over um, from my, from my PhD um, where we're actually looking at the relationship between MVOCs. So the microbes released the microbial volatile organic compounds, those o the odors 
and then the actual gene expression of, of the fungal organism. So we've been really working on trying to, to, to figure out, you know, what genes are being expressed at those moisture conditions. Um, so that's, that's what I, I have been working on uh, lately. Yeah. Some of us non-academics mm-hmm. here, I, I, I play one on the radio here and there, you know, but uh, I'm just curious why, explain to our listeners why understanding the gene expression is so mm-hmm. important. Yeah. So I, I, I think that really lends itself directly to human health. And I think somebody put it, put it up in the chat. Like we were talking about like the my, mycotoxins. Yes. So thinking about what is being, what they're actually doing, what um, genes they're releasing, what are the microbes actually doing at these high humidity levels to then potentially be releasing this compound or releasing um, or, or doing, doing something else that could potentially impact, become into contact with us and have a negative, a negative health effect. Um, so or potentially a positive health effect as the, the V. victoriae, where it, it might have go. something where we're, oh, this could be protective or, um, yeah. Right, right. And that gene expression helps you understand that. Yeah, yeah. It helps us understand what um, what the micro, what they're actually doing. So we know, you know, we can know that they're growing, but like what, what are, what are their actual functions? Um what kinds of things. So we're trying to, to connect the VOC, VOCs and the gene expression. Hopefully that works, <laughs> but we're, we're still working on that. It's a difficult connection. You're talking about the gene expression within that organism. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about the, what gene expression that would elicit in people? You, you know what I mean? If you're exposed to these MVOCs, what does that do within oh. us? That's a good, I mean, and that's, that's, we probably need somebody from who, who's a doctor, <laughs> a medical doctor to let it, or someone who does people. Cause that's, that's a really good point. Like what um, exposure to the MBOCs, what kind of, is it impacting anything that our bodies do or, or something in us? I, I'm not sure. I don't have the answer to that, but I, I think that's really important to think about. Seems yeah. like a next step. You Definitely know, a next get- step. This background yeah. on the expression within yeah. the organism itself. Now, how does that gene expression affect the gene expression in other, in other mm-hmm. people, yeah. animals, yeah. Uh, et cetera? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting, Sarah. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Any, anything else you're working on before we wrap it up? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm hope, hopefully uh, working with some communities in Toronto and just in Ontario in general, hoping to work with First Nation communities who are impacted by lots of mold and moisture issues. So that's next step, but it's all in the works right now since I just started in July. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. You're, you, you've, uh, I got a lot of things that I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> Plus you have to teach a couple classes. I assume yeah, I start teaching in January. Yep. And this is a week. What week is this book reading week or something? Oh, yes, it's reading week. It's, it's university of Toronto's reading week. So the, the How student, does that there's, work? No, there's no classes this week. So students had a week off from classes and then um yeah it's just it's, it's nice for them so then we didn't have to didn't have to teach this week and then they'll uh usually i think some some professors have exams after but you're you're not supposed to <laughs> so are, are they supposed to be reading a, a particular book or just no <laughs> they're just, just supposed to be working on their just working on on their studies there's no we didn't all have to read a book that would have been interesting though yeah, that would be. I wonder how many of them um, 
took reading week and did things like I did last night. I don't know. Well, somebody put in the <laughs> chat, they said it's reading week in all colleges. Oh, so it's it's everybody. Oh, all of Ontario. Thank you, Don. Thank you. All right. Well, Sarah, before we go, thanks for joining us. It was yeah, great. Thanks so I just much. love having the, you know, the young up and coming uh, academics on the show here and then trying to get them to, you know, relate a little more to yeah. our, our, uh, you know, our practitioner audience. So we, we really appreciate it. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? Oh, that's it. Thank, thank you so much. It was really fun. Great to talk to you all. All right. Cliff, uh, before I go, I'm sorry, Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to add? Any follow-ups? Yeah, I was just, when I heard the word cryptococcus, it like really scared me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's fair. Some of them are, are terrible. <laughs> yeah, the, the neoformants, the one that comes from pigeons and yeah. stuff is is really nasty and Joe and I know all about that because uh, we actually <laughs> wrote a paper about it. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a nasty one. But remediation uh, think, of pigeon feces is okay. not my. I, I'm sorry, but I, I try and get young people to understand this is not something you want to do for the rest of your life. It's just not <laughs> <laughs> going yeah, up into good. a bell tire on, on scaffolding that's, you know, 40 feet yeah. in the air and cleaning up pigeon crap is just, I don't know. I, yeah, but you could eat, you could eat off the surfaces after we remediate it. Yes, so you could. Thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate it. I want, I want to say thanks to our guest. I want to say thanks to the Z man. To John, you got to have faith at the controls. Uh, don't forget to go to afterthoughts.iaqradio.com. We'll be throwing up the, uh, we'll have the, the the blog up there eventually, but we'll, we'll be putting some papers up there and whatever we can. And then we're going to have a little discussion after the show. We put a, a copy of the, uh, the chat from today. So looking forward to it next week. Hey, we've got Dr. Richard Corsi looking forward to that. Rich was our original uh research to practice like he was yeah. our guy you know our go-to guy and then he got real important and moved on up to portland state and now he's back at you know cow down and cow yeah. so uh we're looking forward to getting back together with richard and talking a little bit about research to practice so we'll be back next friday at noon with the next episode of iaq radio plus for iaq radio i'm spike real saying thanks for listening 